Welcome to the IFA podcast series, and this is our first podcast in 2021. And today we're going to talk about the new paradigm for plant nutrition. So why do we need it, what it is, and what different uh, stakeholders need to do about it. I think this represents another step in the changing landscape of agriculture as part of a global, regional, and local food system transformation. IFA in its 2030 vision already pointed out that we will need to have much more integrated and systems approaches for plant nutrition solutions as a new paradigm driven by innovation and that policies and business solutions for this must also be grounded in solid scientific understanding of the key issues involved and what can be done about them. So as a next step in early 2020, IFA supported the development of a new independent scientific panel on responsible plant nutrition. It has currently 11 members who are experts from all over the world in different areas related to all aspects of plant nutrition. And they recently published the first issue brief describing this new paradigm for plant nutrition. So I'm very happy today that uh, with us, two of the members of the scientific panel, Patrick Reitzma, who is an associate professor at Plant Production Systems at Wageningen University in the Netherlands, her work focuses on sustainability and resilience of farming systems, and she has a lot of expertise in the integrated assessment of agricultural systems at multiple scales, including assessing trade-offs and synergies. She's also a member of the editorial board of various agricultural science journals and a member of the European Nitrogen Expert Panel. Our second guest is Tom Brulzimmer, who is the chief scientist of Plant Nutrition Canada, working with industry environmental and scientific groups to lead agricultural service providers in advancing sustainability. Tom has served for over 25 years with industry-supported science organizations, leading and contributing to projects on the interactions of crop nutrition with health, functional foods, greenhouse gas emissions, air quality, and eutrophication. And he contributes to nutrient stewardship certification program in North America, as well as various international initiatives on the sustainable management of nitrogen and phosphorus. And Tom is the current chair of the scientific panel for responsible plant nutrition. So welcome to both of them. Now let's get uh, started right away, Tom. What's actually the main issue? What, what is the old paradigm and why do we need a new one? Why is the old one not good enough anymore? Thanks, Hakeem. The old paradigm is something I think that evolved uh, quite a bit over time. It was really focused on ensuring that plant growth was not limited by uh, the nutrients on which uh, plants depend. And a lot of the research was focused originally on identifying which nutrients uh, could potentially limit plant growth, which nutrients were essential to plant growth. And it involved a lot of study all the way from the uh, physiological level of the root cells and interacting with the soil, uh, all the way through plant uptake, uh, to an all the way to field research, uh, empirically looking at the crop yield responses to applied nutrients. And as, as it evolved over time, first there was a focus on maximum yield, and then more of a shifting to a focus on maximum economic yield, where you're applying uh, nutrients at the level that generates the best profit for farmers. And then over time, in various areas, different environmental issues also evolved, and uh, it was recognized that we want to manage nutrients carefully to avoid losses to the air, 
losses to uh, water and and other uh, factors that came came on board there. What what is different about the new paradigm is that we integrate all these issues. You integrate all the issues involved with the, the use of crop nutrients and the application of fertilizers and put them together and, and see how that all comes together and, and what uh, new areas of research are ne needed, uh, what uh, new uh, structures are needed uh, for the industry to address the, the sustainability concerns of agricultural producers. So the panel in its uh, paper identified a whole list of uh, key issues that one way or another need to be tackled uh, and perhaps even within one human generation, so let's say uh, primarily within the next 20 years, uh, and for which we actually need to find urgently uh, better solutions in terms of how we manage nutrients as part of uh, food system thinking. Uh, could you elaborate on a number of those issues, just a few examples uh, that uh, uh, give us an illustration of what those global challenges are? Certainly can. Uh, one of the issues is the issue of global nutrient imbalance. And uh, we, we've seen a number of maps produced of the world of the nitrogen balance of uh, cropland of the world or the phosphorus balance of cropland in the world and other nutrients as well. And it's clear that there are uh, at the national scale, some countries are, uh, in general, on average, in surplus, and some much more in deficit, particularly Africa and the sub-Saharan Africa. The other interesting thing about this global nutrient imbalance, however, is that even at smaller scales, you see areas where nutrients are currently being used insufficiently, as well as nutrients being used excessively. We do, for example, a, a soil test uh, survey in uh, North America, and we identify within each of the states and provinces areas uh, where nutrient use has been insufficient and nutrients areas where nutrient use is excessive. Um, another issue is the technologies, the uh, business solutions and policies which we will need to get farmers to adopt a more precise uh, set of nutrient management solutions. And then uh, a big issue as well is uh, realistic options and targets for reducing greenhouse gases from fertilizers. If we're to limit global warming to less than two degrees, all the pathways that are described by scientists involve cutting emissions from fertilizer as well as changing the way we manage the land. We need to cut the amount of emissions associated with making and delivering the nutrients. We need to cut the emissions from the nutrients themselves after they are applied. And then we need to apply the nutrients in such a way that crops, the crop yield increase that we're getting from them helps save space for nature as well as contributes carbon to the soil. Patrick, but uh, besides those, what are some other issues uh, that were particular in your mind? Well, there were indeed several issues that were mentioned. And I think another one that is, uh, is, is an important question is how nutrient losses and waste along the whole agri-food chain can be halved and that within one generation. As currently at global scale, around 20% of applied nitrogen is taken up by crops, while up to 80% is lost to the environment. And that means that most of the applied nutrients are not taken up. Uh, and the coming 10 to 20 years will be critical to make a transition to a food system in which these hidden environmental, but also health and socioeconomic costs are reduced. 
And such issues are known for a long time uh, and measures have been taken in a lot of place, places around the world, but it's not enough. Another issue that can contribute is the following. Uh, how can nutrient cycles in crop and livestock farming be closed? And while in history, mixed farming was common, uh, arable and livestock farming have largely specialized nowadays, and this process is still ongoing. Uh, this causes large nutrient losses in some places, while there is a lack of nutrient in other places. And the massive growth of this livestock sector has led to low nutrient use efficiencies, increased waste, and also large greenhouse gas emissions. So we need a reintegration of crop and livestock farming. Uh, this doesn't need to be at farm level, and we don't need to have mixed farms necessarily, but re reintegration can also happen at regional level. So we need to use animals what they're good at, and they're good at converting byproducts into valuable uh, food and manure, uh, and this potential needs to be utilized by this integration. In addition, specialization has also led to lower quality foods. This brings me to another issue. Uh, how can the cropping systems uh, that we have deliver higher quality and more nutritious foods? At the moment, more than 2 billion people in the world are affected by various forms of micronutrient malnutrition. Uh, the main cropping systems that we have nowadays, they rely on main crops like wheat, maize and rice, and they're mainly designed to provide calories. Uh, and crop diversity has largely decreased in the last uh, century. So the question is what agricultural practices, including plant nutrition, can be employed to improve human nutrition? Yeah, I think uh, there are, these are very good examples. Uh, in the document of the panel, uh, there's a number of other issues mentioned. I just want to sort of cite this very quickly. There's uh, the issue of uh, the real big challenge of how we can double or triple crop yields in Africa uh, with the appropriate uh, balanced nutrition concepts. There is the issue of uh, how we can manage uh, nutrients also in the sense of uh, improving soil health. Uh, there is the issue... Uh, of uh, how mineral nutrition of crops and the management of nutrients may have to change in adaptation to a changing climate. A lot of these things, both positive and negative impacts of climate change on that, are not fully understood. And lastly, I think there, the panel also points out that we need to have a much higher, much more precise level of uh, monitoring of nutrient use efficiency and sustainability stewardship uh, measures uh, by different players and at different scales. So it's quite a tall order. Yeah. So in a nutshell, Tom, what, what is then the new paradigm? What are its sort of main dimensions or objectives? When we add the word responsible to plant nutrition, it recognizes the importance of the contribution of plant nutrition to the sustainability of agricultural systems and indeed to the capacity of the earth to support healthy life. So it's about connecting the practices of plant nutrition to outcomes that are important to the whole human family. It encompasses a broad array of practices. The implementation of responsible plant nutrition involves technologies and management practices that are applied to the flows of nutrients in agroecosystems. Those flows that influence nutrient use efficiency and losses. It goes beyond the boundaries of the farm field and the farm gate and considers the footprints and flows of nutrients to the farm and from the farm along the whole agricultural value chain. 
In essence, it's a more nature-positive nature approach. It doesn't aim to blindly copy nature, but following science adapts and integrates agroecological principles for sound nutrient stewardship. And so it also, if, you, if we look at specific objectives of uh, responsible plant nutrition, uh, we have listed five of them. And they include improving the income, productivity, nutrient efficiency, and resilience of farmers and businesses supporting them. Uh, it includes increasing nutrient recovery and recycling from waste and other underutilized resources, lifting and sustaining soil health, enhancing human nutrition and health through nutrition-sensitive agriculture, and finally, minimizing greenhouse gas emissions, nutrient pollution, and biodiversity loss. Yeah, and the panel has also then identified the six key action tracks. It's, it's called those action tracks. So uh, overarching measures that one way or another need to be probably implemented by every country, by different players. Sustainability sustainability-driven policies and business models, data-driven, more precise crop nutrition, more nutrient recovery and recycling, a higher degree of nutrition-sensitive agriculture, low-emission fertilizers, and accelerated innovation systems. So I think it'll be interesting for our listeners to look at those now a little bit more, but do this more in, in the context of what they might actually mean for specific uh, environment or for, for specific countries. So let's start maybe with the Netherlands, Patrick, a European country that has its own very specific and, and to some extent also long-lasting nutrient issues. So how would you summarize those? And following the new paradigm thinking, what would be some key actions to take to address those uh, and who needs to do what in the Netherlands? Sure. Well, let's say a little bit more about the Dutch situation. Um, before the, the COVID crisis, the biggest crisis in the Netherlands was the nitrogen crisis in uh, May 29, 2019. So a bit more than a year ago, the higher court stated that it was not allowed anymore to grant permits that cause additional end deposition in nature areas, in Natura 2000 areas. And this implied that all nitrogen-emitting activities were halted, including building houses and roads. And then the government had to come up with quick solutions, including a speed limit of 100 kilometers per hour instead of 130 kilometers per hour. So even though Dutch citizens may not really know what nitrogen is, they now all heard of it. Everybody knows about the nitrogen crisis. And largest nitrogen emissions are ammonia from manure and nitrogen oxides from industry, and therefore main solutions also focus on livestock, uh, but also arable farming uh, contributes. So while plant nutrition is not the main focus in, well, this crisis, so to say, all sectors need to contribute to reduce emissions. And obviously, it's also clear that uh, large nitrogen inputs contribute to other issues like nitrate leaching and N2O emissions. Well, on average, the nitrogen use efficiency in the Netherlands is relatively high. And both inputs are high, but also the nitrogen outputs are high, crop yields are high. Uh, but at the same time, the surpluses of nitrogen are also high. There's also very large variability among farms, which implies that some farms perform really well, but there's also others that can still largely reduce nitrogen inputs and therefore also reduce nitrogen surpluses. 
And there are already policies, there are regulations in the Netherlands in place. Uh, so there's norms for fertilizer application per crop. Uh, and these are monitored at farm level, which means that, for example, if you can apply 275 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare to a potato crop, a farmer can decide to apply 400 to one field and 150 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare to another field. And he can also decide to apply it uh, well more to potato and, for example, less to sugar beets. So there is some flexibility in these regulations, but farmers, they still tend to apply according to these norms. So they, if they are allowed to apply 275 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, that's what they do. They don't really focus on what does my crop need in a specific field. Uh, so nitrogen application is limited by regulations, but it's not precise, and therefore it still results in large nitrogen surpluses in in many locations. So this, well, this this asks for some actions, and of the action points we listed, I think there's three that are very important. The first one is about data-driven, more precise crop nutrient solutions. So instead of having average nitrogen norms that are allowed in either sandy or clay soils, we need to have more precise solutions based on digital tools, which can also assist farmers uh, to do that better. The second action point is related to policies, so they need to be more sustainability driven. Uh, but at the same time, policymakers, they should also have a vision. They should provide a vision to farmers, including business models that can allow farmers also to do that. So not just ask from them, well, you need to be become more sustainable. Uh, farmers cannot do it alone. Um, I just talked about this nitrogen crisis, and this also triggered farmers' protests. They all came uh, on their tractors on the roads because they argued that policies continuously change. Uh, they don't consider the needs of the farmers. So policies, again, they are needed. That they need to be more sustainable, but they really need to take into account also, uh, yeah, business models, and they need to assist farmers. And other actors also should um, uh, should do something. The third action point relates to a circular economy. Um, as we already said before, one of the main issues is how can we reintegrate crop and livestock systems? And we need also more solutions like that, which allow for greater nutrient recovery and recycling. In the Netherlands, we have a large livestock sector. Um, so the, the outputs from the livestock sector, like manure, should be reused again in the arable farming sectors. And we have to consider how to balance mineral and organic fertilizers. And how would uh, this look like for, for in comparison, for example, in Canada or North America, Tom? Yes, certainly all six of the actions uh, described in the issue brief are relevant for Canada, uh, some more than others. Uh, in terms of a su sustainability-driven policy and business models, I think the foremost is uh, the whole concept of 4R nutrient stewardship. It was born in Canada oh, about uh, 15 years ago and uh, gradually has become uh, very widely recognized by the uh, fertilizer industry and the uh, service providers in agriculture, um, most intensively in North America, but also around the world. Uh, the the programs that uh, to increase its recognition by farmers are underway within Canada and to validate the cropland acres under what we call a for our nutrient stewardship practices. Uh, we have programs to certify retailers and advisors as well. And a lot of this comes in response to some of the issues that have come up, uh, particularly uh, Lake Erie is relevant to the province of Ontario. 
we we have uh, basically found that uh, the, the timing and placement of phosphorus application can have uh, large effects on the, the small fraction that is lost that does contribute to uh, the eutrophication of the lake. So uh, having a program in place to uh, put a, a label on, on uh, retailers that uh, make applications and make recommendations that are consistent with minimizing those losses uh, is very important. Uh, it's an ongoing challenge to define these 4R practices in a sufficiently site-specific way. Uh, second, uh, uh, the uh, action of uh, generating low-emission fertilizers. Canada has world-class ammonia production with a low footprint uh, of uh, carbon cost of manufacturing the uh, nitrogen fertilizers. And uh, we've had a recently announced government commitment to work with industry to reduce the total emissions from fertilizer by 30% by 2030. Uh, we don't know quite what this looks like yet, um, but we have been working towards uh, that uh, direction. We have some pretty good data across Canada on how various inhibitors reduce nitrous oxide emissions across uh, different climate zones. And uh, for major crops already, about a quarter of the nitrogen applied has some form of a treatment to enhance uh, uptake. When we talk about data-driven, more precise crop nutrition, uh, there's uh, we have a lot, a lot of our equipment in terms of nutrient application is de designed for right time, uh, getting the nutrients onto the field very rapidly, and that sometimes had some compromise with uh, right place uh, placement uh, into the soil. We are getting more precise. We have a GPS with real-time kinematic guidance for more precise application, minimizing the overlap and. Uh, improving the efficiency of application. Um, but, but there is some, in, in some places, a shift needed for the industry to focus more on placement of the nutrient in the soil without disturbing the soil and getting the benefits of the, the conservation tillage. Nutrient recovery and recycling, Canada, Canada has some examples of good of leadership there. Uh, the Ostara and Struvite process was developed in Vancouver, and uh, it's uh, the, the recycling uh, of uh, biosolids is uh, fairly common in my home province of Ontario as well. There is opportunity still to improve the distribution of manure nutrients within Canada because our livestock industry is concentrated in various areas uh, where there are manure surpluses. Um, Nutrition-sensitive agriculture, we've, we've had some work on health functional foods as well, and uh, uh, yeah, the, there's uh, a, a fair bit uh, that is going on that is very relevant to this um, new paradigm for responsible plant nutrition. So it is clear that uh, every region in the world or every country even uh, has a, different, a slightly different set of priorities and also different roadmaps that are required then to implement a new paradigm of this kind. Obviously, the issues in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, or Asia will be quite different from what we've just heard in the Netherlands or North America. And uh, we, we won't be able to touch on this today, but we'll probably come back to those issues in other uh, recordings of this podcast series later during the year. But there is also a very important role that the science and policy play uh, in this. Uh, and maybe it was worth to spend a little bit of time on this, uh, thinking about you know implementing a new paradigm like that, that requires more coordinated action by all actors involved in the nutrient chain, from the industry all the way to the consumers and those involved in waste recycling. 
So what, what uh, might need to be done differently in terms of uh, science and policy changes, Patrick? Well, I think it's important to to focus on all aspects of, of the issue. So we shouldn't only focus on technological solutions, but also solutions in the social and economic domain. Um, very often, technology is available, um, but laws may be restricting or business models may be lacking. For example, at field level, artificial fertilizers are often more efficient, while at regional level, in livestock dense regions like in the Netherlands, applying manure on arable fields is more efficient. Well, processing of manure to allow precise fertilization could be a solution, but regulation still inhibit this, and, and it also has its costs. So in terms of research, maybe a good example is uh, what we're currently doing in Wageningen University and Research Center, where we have a program, Connected Circularity, which aims to bring scientists from different backgrounds together. So there are scientists from the plant sciences domain, from the animal sciences domain, from social sciences, uh, and also from technological uh, solutions. And together, we aim to provide both technological solutions, but also the socioeconomic uh, system around that. And that's not only focused on plant nutrition, but obviously, you know, circularity is, is one of the aims also for uh, improving plant nutrition. Good. And uh, I guess there's also a huge importance of bringing the general public along and the policymakers who respond to the public pressure usually. So what can we do to convey this new paradigm better to the general public where the prevailing perception seems to be that fertilizers are something artificial and often also negative. What, 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 what's the opportunity that we have now to overcome that wrong perception? Yeah, I think that's a challenge for the whole panel is to, uh, you know, we've, we've communicated fairly succinctly into uh, issue brief, a description of all the, the issues that are involved. Um, but we need to get very specific messages out that link uh, the importance of plant nutrition to the multiple impacts in which uh, it can benefit uh, society in general. And, uh, and the more we can get specific about those benefits and recognize those linkages, then I think we can um, generate uh, new willingness uh, from both uh, governments and other sponsors to in invest in solutions to uh, where, where we have gaps in our knowledge that influence the uh, efficiency of nutrient use currently. It's a tall order, and uh, I think some people may say that, well, you know, we haven't been able to achieve all that uh, or many of these multiple objectives uh, simultaneously and everywhere in the past. Uh, and we have about uh, one generation, one human generation to now do this, uh, substantial transformation. So maybe uh, we can dream a little bit, and the, the panel in its uh, paper actually at the end uh, has uh, sort of nine points uh, there, vision of what success uh, may look like. And we don't have time to go through all nine, but maybe if each of you just picks one that you particularly like uh, in terms of, okay, if we were successful, how could that be expressed 20 years from now? Well, I can uh, 
I can indicate one which I think is very important, uh, Achim. There's several on the environmental side which are very important. But our last one, I think, is also essential, which says that farmers all over the world have access to affordable, diverse and appropriate plant nutrition solutions. And they're being rewarded for implementing better nutrient management and stewardship practices, which increase their prosperity and and enable them to exit poverty traps. I think that is very important that that um, besides the well that we want to increase nutrient use efficiency, uh, reduce nutrient losses, that we make sure that farmers are also rewarded for that. What's your favorite one, Tom? <laughs> I think uh, you know the, the one I tend to look at is the greenhouse gas one. Greenhouse gas emissions from fertilizer production reduced by 30% and at least 10% of the world's fertilizer nitrogen produced with zero carbon emission. Uh, Partly because uh, we set that one, uh, we've set it as a goal for 2040 for the world. And uh, a few weeks after we had come to agreement on it as a panel, I think probably even before we released this issue brief, the Canadian government came up with a um, a statement that it was going to exempt the fertilizer industry from one of its uh, carbon um, pricing programs, but at the same time was going to work with the industry to reduce its emissions by 30% and by 2030, which is a little bit ahead of what we have for the world. But I think if the world is going to get to 30% less by 2040, Canada probably has to get there before 2030 because we consider ourselves leaders. It's very, uh, what I like about it as well is identifying the fact that there, there are significant investments being made by the nitrogen producers in what we call green and blue ammonia, uh, producing, using technologies other than burning natural gas to produce the fertilizer, finding other hydrogen sources. Uh, that is uh, fascinating to see if that can be done. So we encourage you to read the issue brief as a whole, and then you can also find more examples of uh, what success might look like. But I'd like to end on a more personal note of asking both of you, having worked on this now for several months, um, has that, uh, and if so, how changed in any way your own thinking? What have you learned from this? What did you take away from it for your own work? Well, if I can can say something here, I think when I when I um, presented this to others and talked about it, some asked me, "But what is new?" And I think actually, to some extent, this paradigm is not new from a scientific perspective. And we know for decades that that the focus on maximization of production and income leads to negative environmental and social impacts. And regulations have also been developed to ask farmers to change. So in the Netherlands, we have regulations for a long time. However, it's clear that not only the farmers should change, but all actors in the system should change. And I think this is the new paradigm where uh, not only the scientific paradigm should change, but also practice should change. So industry, uh, everyone in the food chain, it is urgent to change together. And I do think that many are open for the transition, but yeah, input is needed to make it happen. And, and this is the input that we try to provide with this, uh, this issue brief on the new paradigm to explain what is needed, well, what, uh, what should be done and, and uh, what success will look like. So, um, yeah, that is what I, I learned from it, that, that this, and then I also see that, that um, again, people are willing to change, but we need to think about how to do that together. 
I was amazed by the, by the fact that we could come to an agreement within the space of one year on a single document, uh, considering the diversity of the scientists uh, that to make up the panel. Um, and I'm very happy that we have it. Uh, I think the one comment I'd make, I guess, on the, the vision of success, those nine points, is... Uh, is this way we have uh, we have visions of success from various uh, scientists working throughout the world, whose groups of scientists that are focused on nitrogen, groups of scientists focused on phosphorus, groups of scientists focused on eutrophication, uh, those on greenhouse gases, all different groups, um, and each of them will point to the fertilizer industry and crop nutrients uh, flows being important and relevant to their issues, and they have their visions for the future as well, often very centered down on one specific issue. We've brought them all together. Uh, we've got we, we've got every issue relevant to uh, crop nutrition in here, and uh, and I think we've got uh, something together that makes sense and that is potentially achievable, at least in the eyes of the scientists of this panel. What I really look forward to is um, taking this document and having more discussions with the full industry, the full crop nutrition industry, and seeing how much buy-in we can get to this vision of success. So thank you, both of you. The panel will now uh, shift its attention to digging deeper into some of these uh, issues, some of these dimensions of the new paradigm. So we would encourage you to keep an eye on the panel's website, in particular, sprpn.org. And our goal this year is to have, for example, issue briefs coming out there on the interactions between fertilizers or nutrients and biodiversity, but also uh, on lessons learned from nutrient stewardship approaches and so on. So thank you once again to our speakers and uh, please come back to our next podcast.